I've already been mistaken for Chris once um, so far this morning. And Anne, I'm going to embarrass you. I don't know if you remember the last time you came to our, because Anne's son Ian comes to our church uh, in West Derby, and Anne, the last time she came, she went, oh, you're just like your Chris. And I'm not, right? <laughs> He's just like me. I was here first, I'm the oldest. Any similarities are down to him following my example, um, for good or for bad. Um, so, Oggy, you chose wisely this morning. Um, that song, there's three lines from that chorus of that, that new song that we sang this morning. Um, Show me who you are, fill me with your heart, lead me in your love to those around me. Those are three lines that just fit beautifully with with what I'm going to share this morning. Um, As you know, I'm Chris's brother. I'm also an elder at West Derby Evangelical Church. I've been there for 18 years. Um, I I went there because I met a a lady there called Sarah, who uh, I've now been married to for 16 years. We've got two kids. There we go. There's my two kids. Um... The eldest uh, is turns 13 on Tuesday, which seems actually wrong because I'm not old enough to be a parent of a teenager. Uh, the youngest recently turned nine. Our eldest is, an adop- is a birth child, and our youngest is an adopted child, which I think is one of the reasons why uh, Chris asked me to, to come and speak this morning, because we've been through. Where's, where's Jane gone? I've lost her. So, Jane, we've been there. We've, been, we've, we've walked that path. We know what it's like. Um, I'm also a primary school teacher. Um, two days a week, and I work two days for church. Uh, I love kids, but I must say this, I have the same feeling here that I have in our place when all the kids go out to Sunday school, which is few. Anyone else? <laughs> it's great to have the hubbub, and, the, and but then it's, isn't it lovely when you can just stop and you go, oh, phew. <laughs> Sorry, that's just me. Maybe it is just me. Maybe I'm in the wrong job. Okay. I'm going to be uh, share in two parts this morning. I'm going to be completely blunt with you and say I don't know how this is going to end. I've allowed myself kind of two or three different possibilities in terms of how this, 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 this talk will, will end this morning. And I've no idea which way the Spirit's going to lead. I promise you it's not poor preparation. I promise you it is open to uh, how the Spirit wants to, to speak this morning. Um, the first part is where I'll tell you a little bit of, of, of our story and our experience and of, and of God's faithfulness in that. It's personal, and I get emotional. Um, even just saying it's personal, it's emotional, makes me go, ooh. Um, so if, I, if my voice cracks, if I need to pause, just, just bear with me. You know, just, just, just pray for me and I'll be fine. Um, and also I know that issues around fertility and around um, adoption and, and family and stuff can be difficult and challenging for some of you. I'm not going to go into great depth. My, my story is probably quite unusual, maybe, for, for a, a lot of adoptive families. It's a little bit different. So, but I, I hopefully I'll deal with it sensitively, but just be aware that some of these things may, uh, may be stirred up. Um, whenever I preach, I believe there should be a so what. Because we can sit and we can learn and we can kind of read scripture and think, oh, well, that's interesting, isn't it? And we can learn stuff and we can think about theology and doctrine and we can kind of absorb things. But for me, there's got to be a so what. I mean, that's very interesting. But what about when we leave this building at whatever time we finish this morning? I've got eight pages, 10 minutes a page. That's 80 minutes. <laughs> Should be fine. What about when we go out there? What about what happens between Sunday afternoon and next Sunday morning? So what? I've got three so what's this morning. I may not even do all three so what's, but that's what I believe is really important. And some of you may be thinking, please don't tell me to adopt. Please don't tell me to adopt. Please don't tell me to adopt. I felt like that once. Just go with it. Just be open. Just be ready to listen. Um, For those of you who don't know, adoption has changed a lot over the years. When we think about adoption in the past, uh, it used to be that um, uh, 
normally a, a mother had had a child out of wedlock. That was the phrase, wasn't it? And then the, the child would be given up for adoption. And often the, the, the child would grow up to adulthood and not actually know they were adopted. It was a, it was a secret. It's very different now. Adoption is open. Um, children should know, well, age appropriately from the very moment of adoption that they have been adopted and that, that is a process they can go in through. Uh, and so we, we've, and we've very much um, experienced that, that modern system, that modern approach. Um, I'm going to throw three verses up to give some context and some overview to this first section. Okay, so the first one, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. These are well-known um, scriptures. In some ways, they're kind of standard in lots of ways, but these are scriptures that we've found to be absolutely true for us. Psalm 37, 5 to 6. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the, the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. And then, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, is Isaiah 55, 8. Uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So, um, Sarah and I got married in 2001, and I think we've probably been married about three years, and we thought, time for kids. So, that's fun, isn't it? Uh, and uh, and it happened quite quickly. We we had a we had a child uh, pretty promptly, and after, as he was probably about eighteen months getting on for two years, we thought it's time for another one. And we'd always said two. That's it. So some of you lot, you have three. <laughs> I don't get it personally because you know I like that spare seat in the car. You know it's just practical. It's just easier. Um, so we'd always said two, and so we thought let, let's let, let's have a second. It's time. And that's, it, it's fun trying, let's face it, there's no rush. And months went by, though, and if you've ever been in that process, you'll know, you know, you're counting days and you're looking at the months and it's like, oh, another month's gone. And then suddenly we found ourselves kind of a year in and there was no sign. And so we were praying. We were praying, Lord, we feel like we want to grow our family. We feel like we want another child. So please let us have a baby. That was our prayer. And then we, as nothing happened, we thought, well, we're not praying, right? Ah, we need to be a bit more canny about our prayers. Lord, we want another baby. But we know that you are the Lord who is in control of everything and you are wise beyond everything we can understand. So, Lord, please give us another baby, but in your time. Okay, which I thought was very humble of us, to be quite honest. And You know, I was going through teacher training. And so we kind of assumed that, it, see, God knows. God, I couldn't handle a baby now while I'm doing well, up to my elbows in marking and all the rest of it. So, no, we, we thought that must be what was going on. Um, but no, still nothing. And so we got up to about 18 months, two years, and we started to think, well, maybe maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's something not quite right. Now, in the meantime, um, as that had happened, 18 months, two years in, Sarah said, have you ever thought about adoption? And I went, <laughs> no, no, no. Not in the slightest bit convinced. A little bit like Jane and Jamie, like Jane was saying. Um, Sarah had experienced adoption. She'd seen it in, in church as she'd grown up. There'd been a family who'd adopted and she'd seen it when she was a teenager and it really stuck with her and struck her as being like really powerful. And so she said, have you ever thought about it? And, and it wasn't a, it wasn't an idea. It wasn't a, a sort of a, a conviction. It was just a, maybe it's something to think about. And my thought was, no, thank you. Um, it didn't fit in with what I assumed about our family and how our family was going to grow. 
we'd both seen, because we, we'd both been learning mentors and I was going into teaching, and we'd both seen lots of children from the, in, the, in the care system. We'd looked after children. And so we'd seen so many kids in our professional lives, and we'd seen the backgrounds. So we know what goes on, and I thought, that's fine, nine to five. I don't want it in my home, thanks. I don't want kids who've been through that kind of stuff and the, 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 the brokenness they bring with them. So Sarah is obviously a much better person than me, and she was um, seeing, uh, starting to grow a feeling that maybe actually adoption would work. But it's one of those things, has anyone ever, like, you've been looking for a new car, and maybe even you bought a new car, and suddenly, as soon as you notice that car, you see it everywhere. Has anyone been through that process, and you kind of you think, oh, so I, I quite fancy a, a C-Max, uh, maybe a white one, I don't know. I, I fancy a C-Max, and you kind of, and suddenly everybody's got one. And you've never noticed it before. And it seems like the whole world has got one and they're everywhere. And they're not. There's no more cars on the road than there ever were before. It's just that you're, you've noticed it because you're, you've recognized it and you're attuned to it. Well, at the point that we started just to gently think about adoption, it was suddenly blooming everywhere. Everywhere we looked, in the press, on uh, social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, um, on TV, it was everywhere. And it might have been there all along, and maybe it was just because we were starting to think about it that we were more tuned in, and it became more noticeable to us. But as soon as we started thinking about it, we noticed it a lot more. And we watched, a, there was a conference we watched, a Christian conference, it was, there were some highlights, I think it was on the God Channel or TBN or something like that. And the preacher said this, if you are a Christian, you have a spare room and you are physically able, then you categorically must foster or adopt. And it's like, now, that's just mean. I'm sorry, that is just mean. We were open to another child, but we have to adopt, really? And I'm not going to push you that far, don't worry, but it was just interesting that we were really starting to get a message that perhaps... This is where we should be going. And so we changed the way we prayed again. We said, Lord, please bless us with a second child because we'd like to complete our family. And we trust you to show us how you want to do that. Now that was, oh, it's funny. It's really strange, you know, it's really strange. I haven't preached on this for a great deal over the course of uh, the years. Maybe this is why. And I think we were finally getting the hang of how to pray. So I decided I'm going, I'm going biblical on this one, big time now. I'm putting a fleece out there. And so I said, Lord, I'm starting to feel like maybe we need to think about adoption. So here's the fleece, Lord. We're going to get tests done. And if there's a fertility issue, then we will know for definite that you want us to adopt. Great. Now, we both went, we both went to the GP. We did the tests. We had to wait a little while for the results to come through. And they came back, and we were both absolutely back. There was no physiological reason why we shouldn't have conceived, which made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Like, Lord, that wasn't the deal. I was really looking for a bit of clarity here. Because the problem was that in the time we were waiting for that, those results to come back and waiting for that kind of confirmation of what we were supposed to do, We'd both completely fallen in love with the idea of adopting. Um, And so when the results came back, it was like, we wanted confirmation. I wanted to be told that I wasn't fully fertile because I wanted to adopt. 
And the, 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 the truth came through really clearly. This is the bit that gets me, sorry. <clears throat> We've been trying for a baby for three years with no joy, with no reason why we shouldn't have conceived. And there's no doubt in our minds... <coughs> I'm so sorry, I don't know why this, uh, this hits me. There's no doubt in our minds that God withheld conception and pregnancy from us. No doubt at all. Which is powerful and hits me every time I talk about it. <clears throat> those verses in Psalm 37 can be considered as you often hear prosperity gospel preachers using those kind of verses. If you set your heart on something, God will give you it. If you want it enough, if you have enough faith, he will give you what you want. We didn't find that to be true because God didn't give us what we wanted. He didn't give us the desires of our hearts. We wanted another baby and we didn't get one. But this is all about relationship. That's what this whole Adoption Sunday, the whole subject of adoption is about. It's about relationship. And it was in our relationship with God that we changed. We didn't get what we wanted. But over the course of the, um, the, those months, there were two relationships going on. One was our husband and wife relationship. And in that relationship, I wasn't sure about adoption. Sarah was much more open than I was. But as a husband, it was right for me to say, okay, I'm not sure, but let's have a look together. And as that happened, and as I understood more of her heart, it changed the way I felt. As a couple, we'd been praying for a baby. And as we opened up ourselves to say, Lord, we're not sure how you want to sort our family out and grow our family, but we're sure that you want to do it. But we're open to how you want to do it. Our desires changed. And we got the desires of our hearts. <clears throat> they just weren't the same desires that we started with. <clears throat> so as we try to delight in him and give him our desires, he changed them. And that came from relationship. I don't know if you've heard of Ignatius of Loyola. Hands up if you've heard of him. Some of you. He was a soldier. He was a, a drinker. He was a womanizer who became a priest. Uh, it's one of those guys who really makes your own testimony sound really dull. You know, you think, just, just no, I've got none of that at all, I'm afraid. Um, he, um, when he became a priest, he, he was really um, focused on the contemplative side of, of, of faith. And in the 16th century, he, he wrote something called, which are known as the Ignatian Exercises, which was a series of, of, of contemplative steps at, of, of prayer to go through. William Barry is a, a, a Catholic brother who, who wrote a, a commentary on that. And this is, what he, this is what he says. Ignatius expects that God will elicit the desires that are most for our good if we open ourselves and our hearts to God's tutelage and if we ask God to give us these desires, we found that to be absolutely true. God gave us the desires that were most for our good. He gave us those desires. He changed what we felt because they were the ones that were most for our good and actually for the good of the child that we adopted. And it happened because we opened ourselves up to God and said, you know, what's that line from that song? Fill us with your heart. 
if we open ourselves and our hearts to God's tutelage, and if we ask God to give us these desires, we couldn't do it humanly. I couldn't humanly convince myself to love someone else's child. That was my issue. I, I couldn't humanly do that in my own strength. God had to do that work in me. So this is the first of the so what's this morning. Have you truly given your heart's desires to God? Have you fully entrusted them to Jesus, not just in the hope that he will meet them as they are, but with the understanding and acceptance that he might change them? You'll still know that the desires of your heart have been granted, but they just may not be the ones you started out with. As you pray, as you uh, commit yourselves in, in whatever you, you're seeking to do, are you open to the fact that Jesus may have something else in store? He may have something that is more for your good than what you're currently thinking. It's, it's quite possible. So we set off on the adoption journey, and it's a long journey, except ours actually wasn't that long. We, um, from our first appointment with a social worker to bringing our little boy home, it was 11 and a half months, which is extremely quick, um, but what I would say is, all the way through that process, there were just little signs that God was saying, yeah, I'm rubber stamping this. This is me making this happen. Things like, when, on the, the day we got approved as adopters was our wedding anniversary. The day when um, we got officially matched, legally matched with our son, was my wife's birthday. Um, and it's these little, these little things that just give you. Do you do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shocking, isn't it? For example, um, our, our son's, our, our adopted son's social worker was a Christian. She was nuts, but she was a Christian. Um, and all the way through, there were just, I mean, even in terms of the adoption agency we chose, um, we ended up um, choosing an adoption agency because the chief exec was a Christian and he rang us up personally and said, oh, I hear you're trying to adopt. Why don't you come with us? I'm like, okay. It was just, honestly, all the way through, there's been loads of stuff. And I'll tell you what's interesting, though. On this, on one of the, uh, this first sign that was on the door as I came in, so I think it said something like, the challenge is tough. But the love was instant. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Funnily enough, despite the fact that um, Sarah, and she won't mind me saying this because she, she, she said it herself, um, although she was the one who was keener on adoption to start with, it took her longer to grow the love for our son than it took for me. And I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's uncommon. There's lots of adoptive parents who will say the same thing that it doesn't always instantly click, especially when you get an absolute nutter who charges around your house at 100 miles an hour, causes absolute chaos, doesn't listen to anything you want them to do, and it's just, you know, bedlam, really. So it's, it's sometimes it's hard when you're faced with behaviour, and we've had to face a lot of behaviour over the past few years. Um, sometimes it's hard to love because it's hard to see past the behaviour. But actually what's, what's happened over the years is... Um, it's massive progress. And sometimes it's hard to see because when you're in the middle of it, you see a child of every year. We've had the same parents evening for six years in a row. Oh, 
we think there's something there, but uh, oh, injustice is not talking, it's not messing, it's not distracting. Oh, okay. Every year, twice a year for the last six years. No, not six years, four or five years in school. But right, right near the start of the process, when he'd come home, uh, one of our elders came and, and, and he, he had two words for us. One was from Job, chapter one, where it speaks of God's hedge of protection. <clears throat> and the other one's from Joel, chapter two, where it says, I will repay you for the years that the locust has eaten. <coughs> and again, it's, uh, it's powerful because every, every, every child who's been through the care system has got a backstory. Uh, our, our child's backstory was about 20 odd pages long. And it was generational. It went through several generations. It, you know, it doesn't just end up with one child who just happens to be a bit of a problem. It, it goes back generations and it, you know, of hurt and of pain. And it, and it takes a lot to undo some of that and to deal with some of that. Okay. I'll try and let, if we go theological now for the second part, then hopefully I'll stop, uh, uh whining and whinging. So. A couple of key scriptures um, to do with uh, adoption. Adoption is a massive um, theme biblically. Orphans and the fatherless come up a lot, and you'll see, there's, I notice there's a couple of them on the on the walls around us. It, it's a theme that comes through very often. Moses was adopted. Esther was adopted. Jesus was adopted. It never occurred to me until I became an adopter myself. Joseph was not his biological father, yet he was he was his earthly dad. It never occurred to me before until I actually adopted. That's crazy. Jesus was adopted, and if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. Okay, a couple of key passages. Galatians 4, 1 to 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is a Trinitarian passage. If you look at verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I'm sure that Chris or Matt or Chris will be able to tell me the word that describes the theory of how the persons of the Trinity interact with each other. Won't you? Chris, you'll just, no, no. Perichoresis. Who said of perichoresis? No, okay. It does. I know it does sound like something that you'd need a prescription for, but it's actually, it is a theory that describes the, the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The relationship between the persons of the Trinity. And for one thing, we're human, so we couldn't possibly understand how God works, but this is our best attempt. And the way it kind of works is it's to do with each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, giving out of themselves into and for the benefit of the other persons. Constantly giving out of themselves. And in that giving, they are not emptied, they are filled. Because they are constantly receiving as well, because the other persons of the Trinity are also giving. Yeah. But you get the idea that 
in constantly giving, they are fulfilled and completed in their personhood. That there is a constant relationship between those three persons. They're constantly giving out for the benefit of each other. And in that, in that giving, they become fulfilled and complete as themselves. And this is the moment now where I just think, where am I going next? <laughs> this talks about how we are enslaved. We're enslaved by the old way of being. Um, and he compares it to being someone who is the heir to a large fortune. So they know when my dad pops his clogs, I'm minted. That's basically what it's saying. But I have got to live a perfect life between now and then because if I upset him, then I've lost everything. And he compares that to being how we used to live. Living under the law, living under the threat of punishment. Would it be wrong to suggest that I think sometimes as Christians today, we still live by, like that? I, I, I've seen it. I, I always I always assumed that what happened when you became a Christian was like, that was like your sort of your passport your, or your, your visa to heaven. Like, that was fine. You're in. Now, what you've got to do, now you've got your visa, you've got to live as perfect and morally acceptable a life as possible, adhering to all the commandments, being absolutely perfect as much as you can, and feeling very guilty if you don't get it right, sticking to morals and values and standing up for those principles really, really strongly at all costs, otherwise you're not really a Christian. I've been very strongly challenged on that over the last couple of years. I don't know... um, if you follow world events, but if you look across to the States, you'll see all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, my church is called West Derby Evangelical Church. The name Evangelical I'm starting to become quite uncomfortable with because it's starting to mean something else. It's starting to mean hatred. It's starting to mean sticking endlessly to certain things at the expense of everything else. From what I've seen... There are Christians in America who will always vote for the anti-abortion candidate regardless of whether their other policies and beliefs and morals and values have any kind of pro-lifeness about them at all. It's almost like we'll protect the unborn child, but once you've once you're born, unlucky, you're on your own. I was reading on Twitter yesterday a guy who was saying that there's a new... Um, proposal in uh, in the states which is that um tax credits for adoption are being um stopped cancelled binned in the states it tends to cost many thousands of pounds to adopt a child of dollars to adopt a child and tax credits against that are can mean thousands of pounds uh, thousands of dollars for those families and they're being stopped so again you've got this 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 battle this this conflict between we want to protect the rights of the unborn child but we're not really interested in protecting the rights of anyone who's actually alive. It's the same with the gun stuff. When you vote anti-abortion, you vote pro-gun. I don't get it. I don't get it. I believe that God is pro-life. Pro-life from womb to tomb. Have you heard that expression? I'm sorry, it's a bit cheesy. From womb to tomb. God is a God who loves to see human life flourish. And he chooses to do it in relationships. That's how he chooses to operate. And we see it because Jesus came to live and walk among us and relate to people. 
He wasn't an itinerant preacher who just kind of stood there by himself and went off by himself. He had a group of people around him, men and women who loved him, supported him, learned from him. That's how Jesus worked. And when Jesus left the earth, we didn't just have someone with us, we have the Holy Spirit within us. God is a God of relationships. It's how he chooses to operate. It's how he chooses to work with us. Romans 8, 12 to 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. It's Paul again, so it's no surprise. It's the same thing he was talking about last time, that it's being slave to the, the way we used to live. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It's not inclusive language, sonship, but in those days, sonship was better than daughtership. You had more rights as a son than you did as a daughter. That's why it emphasizes that it's sonship, because you, it gives, it, you're talking full, complete, absolutely everything. By him we cry, Abba, Father. So again, we've got the Spirit who enables us to call God the Father, Abba, Dad, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're not slaves, we're full children. We are heirs of the living God. In our experience, we felt that Adoption represented the liberation. That's not to say that there was evil and darkness in the past for our, our youngest, but it is to say that when you read the backgrounds of these families, these children who are in care, you can see that we live in a fallen world. The inequality, the injustice, the poverty the mental health problems, all the, all the darkness that comes around that leads to a child needing to be looked after. It's a sign of the sin that is in our world. Without pinpointing and saying that person, that person, that person, the whole situation is, is an indication of the fallen nature of our world. And in that sense, adoption is a liberation from that. Not into something perfect, because by, by no means are we perfect. And I don't want to suggest as parents that we're somehow saints who rescue you know, who rescued a child, because it's not like that. But it does, adoption gives a beautiful, beautiful picture of our relationship with God our Father. We're fallen. We live in a fallen world. We are driven by our fallen nature, our, our, our human desires. Paul calls them elementary, our elementary desires. And we are pulled out of that into something that is liberated. But it's all done by relationship. It's done by our relationship with Jesus because our relationship with Jesus is what allows us to come into the presence of the Father and his Holy Spirit is what allows us to live in the will of the Father. You'll notice I deliberately didn't read the last sentence or the last few words of that. Well, you might not have noticed because some of you may be thinking about lunch, I don't know. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, comma, I stopped at the comma. Because the last bit says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I mean, Paul, it was going so well. And then you put suffering in. Why? Seriously. 
I can buy the rest of it. That's great. I love it. Suffering? I'm not so keen, personally. Hands up, love suffering. What is the suffering? Well, I'm going to suggest to you this morning some words from Henri Nguyen. You might have heard of him. I've probably pronounced that completely wrong. It's French or something. Um, Henri Nguyen, I think I'm right in saying, was a professor at Harvard, and he left that to become the leader of the L'Arche community. I think, again, I think that's right. This is what he says. Every time we make the decision to love someone, we open ourselves to great suffering because those we most love cause us not only great joy, but also great pain. The greatest pain comes from leaving. When the child leaves home, when the husband or wife leaves for a long period of time or for good, when the beloved friend departs to another country or dies, the pain of the leaving can tear us apart. Still, if we want to avoid the suffering of leaving, we will never experience the joy of loving. And love is stronger than fear, life stronger than death, hope stronger than despair, we have to trust that the risk of loving is always worth taking. I think that's really powerful. The risk of loving is always worth taking. I believe that for us as a family, adoption has been an act of worship. If we think about worship as being a, a sacrifice, an offering, we sacrificed what we wanted and what we thought we wanted. We also sacrificed... Um, what have we sacrificed? We've sacrificed lots in terms of what we hoped we might get from a second child. Which is wrong, isn't it? You know, we shouldn't be expecting to get something from a child. We should be expecting to pour into and give to a child. But you also hope that you're going to have a, an enjoyable, peaceful, calm family life. And it's not always like that. And I wouldn't for one minute want to suggest that it's been a nightmare because it hasn't. Uh, Chris will testify to the fact that our youngest brings us great joy. And most of the time, you wouldn't have any clue that there was anything different about his background. It's just at different times, certain situations, when it, it kind of comes through. And, and we see signs of that brokenness still there. It's an act of worship. When God opens himself up to love us, he also is exposed to the suffering that comes from our leaving. God never goes anywhere. We often wander, disappear. We lose sight, we, whether it's sometimes things are going fine. Thanks, I don't need you, God, I'm off. You don't do it deliberately, but it, it happens. Sometimes it's things aren't going so well. Lord, why have you abandoned me? I'm going this way. Sometimes it's decision, decisions where, again, we're led by our, our own nature rather than the spirit of God. God opened himself up to love us. He did it sacrificially. He did it through relationship. And that's how he asks us to live too. I want to suggest to you that as a church, we need to work from a place of love and not from a place of guilt. You're blessed to be quite a young church. It, you know, it's amazing how quickly traditions happen in churches. We've, my, my church has been going over 50 years. Um, in January, I started a new service, a new monthly service. It is amazing how quickly that monthly service has developed into a tradition. Well, what we do on this Sunday is we've always done it like this. The second, the, se the first time we did it, we put the chairs out like this. So let's let's do that. Like traditions already. We've only had about six of them, and already there's this is this is how we do it. This is what we do. It happens with ministries when a ministry's been going for so long. Oh no, no, we can't stop that because Ethel started that in 1937. Yeah. No, no, we got no. We need to keep it going. Oh, she'll be turning in her grave. 
But actually, if people are saying, well, I'm going to keep it going then, and they're doing that from a place of guilt, then we're living by the old, the old way of being. We're living by that elementary sinful nature because we're working from guilt and not from love. I know just from the, the, the few chats I managed to have with Chris, when you're doing the likes of Baby Basics, when you're doing your outreach on Allerton Road, that's coming from a place of love, a desire to be relational to the people you come into contact with. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. And as leaders, when you're setting up your programs, don't do it because you think you should. Don't do it because you think there's a gap there. Do it because you know there are people that you want to reach with the love of Jesus. And when you're asked to participate, don't participate because you think you should and out of guilt and out of, oh, I'd better do it. If I don't do it, no one will. Do it because you know it's what God is calling you to do. But the only way you'll know if it's got what God's calling you to do is if you open your desires, your heart's desires up, and allow God to make those changes. It's the only way we'll know. A couple of years ago, a guy in our church completely terrified someone because he pursued this guy. Do you want to come for tea? Come, come for dinner. Uh, do you want to fancy, do you want, should we go for a pint? And this guy was like, no. No, not interested. Because he knew he was only being asked because he, this guy was looking to convert him. <laughs> that was it. It was so obvious. Because why would you be asking me to go for a pint with you when I barely know you but don't have anything in common? I don't know who, why? And he knew that it was because this guy wants to convert me. I'm not having it. As we, between now and next Sunday morning, as we go out into the world and we do whatever we do, as we live the lives we live and come into contact with who we come into contact with, I just want to encourage you to live relationally with other people. Sometimes as Christians, it's easy to kind of shut ourselves off. Well, they don't live, they don't believe the things I believe. They're not as moral as I am. I couldn't possibly associate too closely with them. It's easily done. Jesus showed us, Jesus showed us how to go right alongside the very people that you would least expect him, uh, God to go near. I would encourage you to make that decision to love someone and to open yourself up to the potential that it might not go well, that it might not be well received. It's how God lives towards us and it's how he calls us to live towards the rest of his creation. That's me. I'm going to pray. And then I know Chris is going to lead us in a bit of a, a, a ministry time afterwards. Let's just bow our heads. Father God, I thank you that we are in a relationship with you, adopted to become heirs to your glory because of the work of your Son and your Spirit. I thank you that you set us the the example of living relationally. I thank you for the picture of adoption that we've seen that shows what it means to live in relationship and how a relationship can redeem situations and bring your light and your love to bear. Lord, for each of us here, there's, there's principles to think about in terms of how we live in terms of how we lead as a church, in terms of how we go out into the world around us. 
And Lord, I ask that you will give us your heart. As those words said, you will show me who you are. You will fill me with your heart. You will lead me in your love to those around me. But I also pray, Lord, that if if some of us here are called to adopt, then you will just set that ringing like a bell within us. Not a feeling of guilt and not a feeling of... (laughs) That would be the bell then. Lord, that we won't be feeling like we have, that we should do something because there's guilt there, because there's a feeling of responsibility that we must, but actually we'll know because we've offered our desires to you as a family. We offer ourselves to you, Lord, and we ask that you be present in our homes, be present in our hearts that we know. We know if you are leading us and just starting to make us think that this is a direction you want us to go in. Lord, we ask you to speak very clearly to us and just be present. Spirit, lead us in in all we do, in the relationships we have. Let us look for opportunities to, to, to share your love with others purely because we just want to love them for nothing else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.